Hey, welcome to the Afikra podcast. My name is Mikey Mahanon. Today on the podcast, we have another episode of Quarter Tones, our series all about music from and of the Arab world. Our special guest is Yumna Saba, the multi-instrumentalist who sings on most of her tracks as well. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome everyone to another episode of Quarter Tones. Our special guest is Yumna Saba who is a musician and a musicologist whose current research focuses on the musical dimensions of the Arabic language as a tool to generate new methods of working with electronics. She's released four albums to uh, to date and collaborated with musicians of different backgrounds from all over the world. She took part in the international programs and residencies um, from South Korea, um, as well as in Paris, Yumna holds a master's degree in musicology, focusing mainly on the parallels between classical Arabic music and Arabic visual arts. Yumna, welcome to Quarter Tones. Thank you, Maki. Hi, everyone. So we've been talking about this. We know each other and we've been talking about doing something like this for, for quite some time. And the reason why we've talked about this is because the first time I saw you live, um, you blew me away. Um, you know, when somebody thinks like, oh, I'm going to go see some Oud live. Um, they think about the image maybe on the left. But what I saw was the image on the right, plus the image on the left, plus a laptop, plus looper pedal, plus like texture and all this different stuff. Um, so maybe give us a little background about how you started playing music and how you landed where you are now. Um, yes, so I'm kind of self-taught, so I started like um, basically around uh, when I was 12, uh, learning a bit of chords on the guitar, on the classical guitar, and printing the tabs. I had a full uh, folder with the, with the tabs printed, and um, yeah, so this was uh, kind of how I started I mean, I've, I was always, um, I used to sing all the time, but uh, that was on the side. Um, and then um, uh, I had many attempts at joining uh, music schools, but uh, I couldn't stay for long there. So they were very short attempts. Eventually, um, um, I had a very uh, funny moment actually a friend of mine suggested that I I play at an open mic uh, uh, night at, a, at an exhibition back in 2006 it was in June 2006 right before the, the war in July and um, yeah I went with my guitar and I was expected to perform uh, originals only which I didn't have obviously and I learned that like a week before the event. So I had to quickly write some original songs, uh, which I did. I wrote my first two original songs and I performed them live. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that works. You should be yeah. thankful for that rule. Otherwise you would have gotten up and like played Enter Sandman. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that was how I started, you know, like just uh, throwing myself uh, um, into this and doing doing my own music, you know, which was very basic. It was based on what I knew, which was extremely limited. And uh, then later in 2006, I met uh, sound uh, engineer and musician and producer Fadi Tapal, who has uh, Tune Fork Studios in Beirut. 
and we became friends and he, uh, he suggested that I record my first songs to release them, which is the first album to the left, Manafshel Bet. And uh, we did that, and then uh, the second one, this was 2008, released 2008, and the second one, Halban Tabela Dranni, 2011. And uh, right before that, in 2010, I'm like, okay, if I want to continue making music, I cannot stay with the knowledge I have. I need to learn something. And yeah. I was very curious about um, Arabic music and the history of Arabic music, because it's something we are not very much exposed to and there are so many uh, um, historical layers that we're not aware of and I wasn't aware of. So I joined the musicology program in Antonin University in Baghdad to do the uh, yeah, uh, musicology, uh, musicology générale des traditions, which is like a general musicology of traditions basically. Mm -hmm. So, who were you listening to at the time? I mean, what was your musical taste in the 2006 to 2011? Because for me, I'm like listening, I hear like Radiohead. That's who I listen to. Yeah. That's who I hear. Yeah. Uh, I will censor myself a bit here, but, but I was a... <laughs> no judgment. <laughs> Um, uh, I was a big fan of Annie DiFranco, who's an activist, yeah. uh, singer, songwriter. Um, I mean, I don't sure. know where she is now. I don't know what she's doing now. I stopped listening to her music a while ago, but uh, I was a huge fan of her and she really inspired me in, uh, in just um, actually showing the process of her work, which she was doing. And you can see the the um, the evolution of her work from her first album till the album like years later um yeah so i was listening yeah. to her so it was very much based on vocals guitars and that's it you know yeah on the in the arabic tradition were there any sort of um seat because it's i can imagine a world in which you decided i just want to make music like Tom York and folks like Andy DeFranco and mm -hmm. who cares about any sort of Arabic themes or Arabic instrumentation. Sure, I'm playing Aoud and sure this, there's themes in my head that I can't get out of because there's the, the, the sort of um, audio landscape I was born and raised in, but that's not what I'm interested in doing. Um, were there any uh, Arabic music inspiration that actually drew you back into exploring this tradition? Um, yes, for sure. Like I grew up listening to um, to Fairuz and Rahabne, uh, Zaki Nasif, this kind of music. But uh, but actually, what um, first when I started writing my lyrics, I couldn't write in any other language than Arabic. Like I just I was just clumsy, you know, and uh, and I felt I could express myself best using Arabic. So then I started thinking more about the language and not just using it as uh, as a placeholder for lyrics, you know, and just think of its musicality, basically. And also, by pure chance, I was introduced to the music of Camilla Gibran, who's a Palestinian um, musician, composer, out player. And um, first time I heard her music was maybe, I don't know, like 2005 or six, and I didn't understand anything, and I'm like, what is this, you know? But it was so intriguing to me that I kept pushing and pushing, and uh, and I think deep down she really influenced me um, 
and then she influenced me later on other levels but um, she really it, it was a trigger to make me question what I was hearing and um, and why it sounded like this and not like something else and what she was trying to do actually yeah but I didn't grasp what she was doing yeah Okay, so before we keep on going, I think usually I like to talk a little bit longer, but I think it would be worthwhile to play the first clip. Um, sure. And then we'll come back to talk a little bit about Adrain Najum and what you're working on right now. So let's go to the first clip, um, which is, I believe, believe is Subah, right? Yes. So um, tell us a little bit about Subah before we play it. Uh, this was a commission by the Relief Center for a conference uh, last year, and yeah, um, yeah it was it was uh, the conference title is "Working Through Crisis: Innovations, Possibilities, and Limitations of Research in a Volatile Lebanon." So um, this was the the bigger title, but then I had to I was commissioned a piece of music, so also like, um, and it was in March. 2021 so so we were in the middle of so many crises um, that we're still in um, and uh, yeah writing writing a piece of music wasn't that uh, obvious to me yeah. the good thing that played in my favor was the lack of time because uh, I don't have the luxury to sit and think and I just need to do something and yeah. this is one of the tracks that I wrote really really quickly and um, and some 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 songs really come together in a magical way. I I would say um, without much thinking, and this is one of them. Um, cool. Yeah. So for those who don't speak Arabic, al subah means the morning. And for those who don't see the screen, you the the cover art is like very grim, gloomy morning. And when people think about I think that's the morning, right? That's the sunrise. No, actually, that's that's the moon. That's the full moon. <laughs> oh, interesting. So yeah. So tell us a little about the reason why it's called subah and why, which is a, usually like this uh, hopeful thing, and the cover art is kind of gloomy. I mean, it it's it is a gloomy. I mean, yeah, we wait for the morning because it's it's a restart, yeah, and yeah. Um, but also it's a restart of something that is very. Um, like it's uh, the track is a is a call for the morning, not really expressing the coming of the morning. Okay, so, let's listen to it. Yeah. So this and everyone can find this on SoundCloud on Yumna's SoundCloud. So we're going to play this. It's four minutes long.
So uh, this is a super heavy, super heavy piece. But before we get into the sort of meaning and story behind it, what are you playing exactly? What is the music that we're hearing? Um, there's um, there's um, uh, electronic sounds, synthesized sounds from my laptop. There's uh, this wasn't played like it's um, it's a produced piece, so it's not. Yeah. So there's this, there's a bow the oud, so I was using the violin bow on the oud, and um, then I played the oud as a bass, some bass lines on the oud, and the vocals. Walk and me through the, yeah, go ahead. Some feedbacks, which yeah. were generated uh, from, from a pedal, basically. Okay. Um, what is the writing process like? I feel like the writing and the performing must be, or the writing and the produ production must be so intertwined. Yeah, I mean, in this one, I um, uh, I basically set the the base, uh, if you want, the base uh, uh, ambience of the, of mm -hmm. the and then um, I tried humming something over it, 
and I found myself like following uh, because I play, I played all the all the layers really um, haphazardly. There wasn't any fixed structure or measures or a time signature I was following. So yeah. Um, so after doing that, I tried uh, to hum a melody on top of it, and this melody, which I found catchy, you know, catchy between brackets, um, uh, came up. And, but I didn't have the words yet, so I just. Uh, listened to it constantly i recorded it and listened to, listened to it constantly then i wrote the the words and that's it and maybe at the end i added the baseline because i felt it should happen yeah but, you i'm always curious about what it feels like to hear these types of things back like how does it feel listening to this now do you feel like you're listening to yourself or do you feel like you're listening to like a different place and time and different person I mean, this is not uh, too far away in time, so I still relate to the person who wrote this. Um, yeah, but uh, but some other stuff that are really old uh, feels a bit weird. Like I don't. Uh, I'm like, yeah. And then I start analyzing, like, oh, there's a mistake here. There's a mistake here. <laughs> not the present experience, but. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about that idea before we move on to the next one. I want to talk about this idea of mistakes. Um, so we were talking about your earlier work. Um, and then I went online to try to find these two early albums. And I could only find Jum and Arvain. Walk us through why, you know, um, what the difference is in terms of sound compared to some of your earlier stuff and why those may, may or may not feel like mistakes, you know, or evolutions and yeah. um, how you sort of view your, your sort of arc as an artist. Um, actually, it's just that um, with Njum, Njum was a turning point. Uh, it was a turning point also in my life. It, I wrote Njum when I was in South Korea in 2013. And, uh, and I, I had a very strong experience there. Like it was really, it really uh, changed me as an as an experience. And uh, there's an echo. Is it? Hey. Um, so um, so what I did from Zoom onwards, I relate to the to the process uh, uh, to the process I follow. Whereas the other two uh, albums, I don't relate anymore to the process. Like these two albums, Njum and Arbain, I still see them within a certain linearity of the process. The other two, I feel they were maybe um, like a pilot for something or like a pre, uh, pre-work, if you want. Yeah. Okay, so let's, um, so here it says, just real quick for interlude one, um, it says written and performed uh, by Yumna Saba. Um, how would you perform this now if you were to if you were to perform this live? Would it feel like a completely new thing? Um, I performed the vocal part uh, on top of um, collaboration once, and yeah. it's completely different. Um, but yeah, if I were to to render this uh, track live, uh, I'm sure I'll have to think about it completely differently. Um, yeah because I cannot do all these layers uh, at the same time or like I, it is possible to do that, but I don't think the process would be interesting to just copy it as is. Yeah. Think of a live version of it. Yeah. 
because I like the, the performance I saw of yours, you were alone on stage and you had looper pedals and a bunch of different things and you were sort of creating these soundscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it like performing with other, other people on stage? Do you enjoy it? Does it pull different parts out of you? And um, what is that like? Um, there are two different uh, experiences. I mean, what I can say for sure is that uh, the moment in the backstage with someone is much easier than alone by yourself. <laughs> yeah. So this is, um, and um, I mean, when you're alone, if if something goes wrong, like I'm used to, if something goes wrong, I can work around it. If I'm with someone and something goes wrong, like there should be a very clear understanding between everyone that uh, we're doing, um, like we're we're covering a certain uh, a certain uh, malfunctioning somehow in the in the music. So, but there's also um, um, it's I would say it's much more fun if uh, I'm with people on stage. Like there's always sure. um, an exchange that could be a lot of fun. But uh, the the solo one is very also very. Um, introspective as a as an experience so they're completely different yeah okay let's let's go to interlude two um what is this interlude and why did you choose it uh hubut is also another track that was also born like this um, because i'm a last minute person Uh, but i also chose it because uh, because of the video that uh, remy maqsoud did remy is a is a is a filmmaker and she makes um, and she suggested to me she really loved the track and she suggested to me that uh, to make a video for it so i said yes and do whatever you want basically and this was uh, this was her um, proposal and uh, hubut was also um, it was based on a passage from uh, uh, la chute uh, by camus uh, and um, that I reinterpreted it uh, uh, in my own words, if you want. And uh, and I remember I went to the studio not knowing exactly what I was doing, <laughs> but then it worked also. Like some things aligned and it worked uh, like that. But uh, to say that this was part also of a project, uh, I now I forgot the name of the project, but it was... Um, Radio Mansion. Radio Mansion, thank you, initiated by uh, Brahim Naame, and it was a sound bank, and we had access to this uh, uh, sound bank, uh, and uh, we had to uh, compose from these sounds that were uh, recorded around Mansion by different uh, artists, Uh, and I picked the one of uh, footsteps going down the stairs, and I built the whole track on on a very short uh, sound uh, sample, basically. And this is it, Hubut. Okay, let's listen to it.
Oh 
going to stop it here. Um, so for those who can't see the screen, you can find that on, on YouTube. Um, how does that make you feel listening to this now? Because this was recorded maybe four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it brings back a lot of memories, actually. So it's a very... Uh, I saw you drifting. Yeah. <laughs> drifting a little bit. Where are you drifting to? Uh, back uh, to four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about Beirut four years ago and where it is right now. Um, so this re was recorded, uh, as you mentioned, with Fadi Tabal at, at Toon Fork. Mm -hmm. um, Beirut has had a vibrant music scene and creative scene for, um, for a long, long, long time. Um, can you give us a sense of what that scene is like right now? It's been a very uh, tumultuous four years. Um, you know, is there... A, is there something that has um, irreversibly changed for the music scene in the last couple of years? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm in Paris now since uh, two years ago. So uh, yeah. I left uh, the Beirut scene physically, but, uh, but uh, whenever I go to Beirut, I feel there's a, there's a very strong um, um, a sense of, uh, what's the word? Um, like there, there's really um, like we're all helping each other somehow to make things happen, and yeah. I think uh, musicians generally are have been very productive and working on so many projects. So, so it is as vibrant as it was, if not more. You know, yeah. uh, of course, there's a sense of uh, an ongoing gloom and doom all the time, but uh, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everyone is still working. And um, I went uh, last month to Beirut to actually record my last, uh, my latest album there. At Tuneworks? Yeah, at Tunefork. Uh, Tune, uh, um, sorry. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's uh, to me, it was very important to do it in Beirut, to do it at Tunefork and keep the, the link because uh, I'm, I'm part of the scene and I never wanted to you know, like physically I'm not there, but, uh, but there's a, yeah, I think there's a, there was a lot of things happening last month, for example, Artijal uh, Festival yeah. as well, uh, despite everything. And I think a few months earlier, Beirut and beyond was happening as well. Um, yeah. The place. So, so yeah, I mean, all the festivals, all the structures that uh, work in music are still, uh, are still working and working a lot. And uh, it's amazing, I think, yeah. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the track uh, for a second. Um, so for me, when I'm listening to it, I'm always, I'm curious, do you feel like the, the melody mm. could be, are they inextricably linked? The, the, what you're singing to the, the sounds behind it could, you know, is it, could you imagine interpolating that same voice, uh, vocal line onto another, another one of your tracks? Or is it like, no, 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 this has to be with that. Yeah, I think like all of the layers in this track and in every track, like I always think of everything as one whole, you know, one narrative. And, uh, 
and here clearly there's a very clear narrative of like going with the footsteps going down into this uh, big bass sound uh, and with the vocals and then going up it's like you're you're reaching a, a certain space where the the vocals and the guitar it's a guitar here it's not out um they go in the in the mix you know and um and yeah all the layers are uh, are uh, necessary to this track uh, yeah and otherwise i wouldn't feel it's quite there yet you know i always yeah. have to think uh, also in a minimalistic way like if a layer i can remove it i would remove it i would never keep it so so yeah i don't think to answer you i don't think they would fit on another uh... interesting cool do you so i've a few times during this interview i've asked you but i've mentioned the term like soundscape and all this stuff do you kind of cringe when i say stuff like that are you like no this is a song it's not a soundscape mikey this is a song you're listening to no because also the word song i don't know what it means like uh, sound, uh, sound uh, piece uh, song whatever you know composition whatever you want to call it you know even like moment musical moment or uh no i don't cringe like any any uh, any word is fine you know as long as it's not world music and fusion that's <laughs> these sure. are the two words i cringe about yeah yeah. Do you do you uh, get sort of frustrated if somebody says? Um, uh, do you get frustrated if somebody says, "Yumna, you make Arabic music"? One. That's one question. And the second question is, do you get frustrated if somebody says, "Yumna, you don't make Arabic music"? Mm. No. I mean, uh, you you can ask both questions, but uh, we can sit and discuss this. Uh, forever you know it's yeah. an ongoing question whether it is arabic or not or and what it means if it's arabic is it enough to have the lyrics in arabic or is there something else that makes it closer to a certain arabic musical system that existed at some point you know um so it is and it's not it's just uh and you don't care one way or another no i think i think um labeling um uh, Actually, I don't like labeling music with uh, with uh, identity labels, identity tags. I think it's very problematic, and it's uh, it puts you in a category where it can be anything, you know, and it's yeah. not uh, specific and it's not accurate. So, and it it's uh, reductive, reductionist, mm -hmm. reductive, yeah, reductive. It's reductive, yeah. I would say, to the to the music and to the work itself and to the musician have you have you worked with anyone who um have you collaborated with any uh, singers who sing in a different language uh with you i did um but yeah. <laughs> how did that go <laughs> i mean it was okay but it's um it's something i just did it uh, thinking of language as uh, as a sonic uh, like just as sounds you know as a sequence yeah. of sounds and not as a, and see how different languages can be put together but actually i it's not something i appreciate or i i enjoy doing uh, aesthetically I, yeah yeah so it's it's like almost it's 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 painful for you to even <laughs> swallow that idea you're like uh, let's just stick with uh, stick with the language that 
for me sounds like my voice like is that yeah. right yeah anyway if i sing now in english i would sound completely different i have a completely different uh, voice and yeah in other languages as well so so it's also i would say that uh, the use of voice is very much linked to the language and this is uh, also part of my research uh, of how language actually um has a certain musicality and uh, has a certain musical logic to it that sure. that guides you into composition or composing in a certain way okay let's do the third one yeah so what is this and why did you choose it this is Madhu Jazr. it's from the Njum album which was a turning point uh, in my music uh, making um this was, uh, I, I wrote this during my first month in South Korea and then it evolved and then I recorded it uh, in Beirut with yeah. as well. Um, it was, um, so I had this uh, residency in South Korea and they gave us a production grant and the production grant actually I couldn't use it on anything else other than production and I had my instrument and that's it, I had my oud, my acoustic oud. So, and I needed to spend the, the grant, so I invested in some in the loop pedal that I used uh, for two projects and some other pedals. And I started experimenting with this, and it completely changed uh, everything basically. It changed my ability to. Uh, to think as well, like my thinking uh, process in music making was completely different, was changed by these tools as well. And I chose this track because it was the first one I wrote for this album. And this album is is a very important one for me because it was a turning point. And I still, when I, although it was from 2014, uh, to me it's still relevant. You know, when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, okay, this wasn't, wasn't. For the, for the non-Arabic speakers on the call, what does it mean? Maddu Jazir is uh, uh, um, high tides and low tides. And actually in the island where I was in South Korea, um, this was, uh, this was like, there was a lot of high tides and low tides happening during the day. And I would yeah. I witness that for the first time, you know, this bluntly. And uh, yeah. And, and real quick, who did the, who did the cover art? It's beautiful. Yeah, the cover is by Joseph Kai, who's an illustrator. Um, yeah. He's also part of the collective Samandal. Uh, shout yeah, out. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's his uh, wonderful work. Cool. All right, let's listen to this. <laughs>
I guess I'll ask the same question as the earlier ones. Um, is that sort of transportive? Does that bring you back to a specific time and place? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because yeah. I haven't listened to this track in a while. So, so yeah. Is it, so of the three that we've listened to, or, or of the last two that we just listened to, um, do you tend to perform these live? No, now I'm working on something else that I perform. Usually, I um, uh, when I perform live, it's one full set. So yeah, so I had the I had the the Njum, uh, set that I performed with Fadi mostly um, uh, from 2014 till maybe 2016, and then Arbain I performed it. Uh, this I think was the one that you saw the solo one. Yeah, I think so too. Um, uh, yeah, this one I performed it solo, uh, and then I wrote uh, Jalila, which is um, which I haven't recorded, but I play solo as well, and a new one uh, that I don't have a title for yet, but I performed it maybe twice or three times. But it's like a thirty or forty-five minute long uh, uh, sequence of uh, of tracks, so I don't mix and match uh, tracks. So I haven't performed these in a very long time yeah have you ever thought about doing um film scoring yeah yeah uh i worked on some short films and uh i would love to do that like if um, if there's someone out there no it's yeah. something uh, it's something um i would love to do like on a feature film for example so. yeah because your your music is so cinematic it's so visual um tell us a little bit about um just three uh, three things real quick so um maybe we'll just talk about cedars tell us a little bit about uh the fieldwork series cedars uh so this uh this uh album it was uh, initiated by uh, stuart hyatt who's a musician sound artist uh, based in the states 
and uh, he came to Beirut a few years ago and uh, and I met him also by pure chance because uh, he had this idea of recording um, uh, music with the uh, cedars like um, the uh, capturing the sounds of the forest the cedars forest I think in the in the Shouf uh, reserve and um, and making an album out of it so uh, then I met him just to put some oud uh, lines on on his sketches you know I met yeah. him at Tune Fork again and um, and when I told him about what I do he's like do you mind just uh, singing a bit so I can hear your voice and I did and then he was very interested in having me on the album and then he asked me if I wrote uh, poetry. I'm like, I write my texts usually. The lyrics, yeah. So he proposed this uh, project to me uh, to write uh, a story that's uh, linked to the cedar trees. Um, so it was a series of, I think, eight uh, poems that I wrote uh, based on a story that I imagined basically uh, uh, around the cedar tree. And it had, um, like, the music was. Uh, there were a lot of musicians, uh, I cannot name them all now, but uh, amongst mm -hmm. them, Fadi uh, Tapal was part of the project as well, and he's, he was part of the main compositions, basically, of the project. Okay, so amazing. It's let's, over, uh, yeah. Yeah, let's do the quick Q&A, then we have one question in the chat, um, and then if we still have time, I'll ask you some more. Mm -hmm. So what have you been listening to these days? Uh, to a lot of things, but today I got actually from the public library uh, Arvo Pert. Uh, mm. You can see it. Cool. Arvo Pert was an Estonian composer, and I'm a big fan of his uh, work. So, yeah, this is what okay. I think. Cool. Um, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Um, Brigitte Fontaine, who's a French musician, songwriter, author as well. I would love to shadow her uh, for a day now, just to see what she does. What does her music sound like? I don't know. I'm not familiar with her. Um, I cannot describe her music because it's really, um, it's really specific and very. She's been active in the. 80s, 90s, I think I would say even before 70s, but she's still active till now. She's cool. in her 80s, I think. And uh, and her she she also released few books of her thoughts, basically, and they're just uh, wonderful. So Amazing. I think you should just cover her music as well. Yeah, I will. Um, what do people most misunderstand about your work? Uh... I always get that it's uh, long or not uh, uh, hyped up enough. <laughs> Where's the drop? <laughs> Where's the drop, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I think it comes from a certain misunderstanding, which is, uh, yeah, I yeah. trying to explain that. <laughs> okay, you need a, khalas, I'm going to make you a dubstep re remix. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a remix of all my tracks. <laughs> a trap remix. Okay. Um, and lastly, who from the past would be a dream collaborator for you? Oof. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind composing with Bach, actually. Just, cool. uh, just to, yeah, just to share some ideas and thoughts. Yeah, he had an idea or two. Yeah. So, um, 
let's uh, let's go from there. So we have one question from Yemen, I think is how you pronounce your name. Um, and if you'd like to ask it, let me know. Otherwise, I can ask for you. Um, okay. Yeah. Hi. Uh, hey. Go for it. Yeah. Um, let me scroll back up because I forgot what I asked specifically. Yeah. Um, as an artist, what was the turning point for you finding your sound and committing to showcasing that sound to the public? Did you find yourself constantly reinventing your identity or your branding when you first started? Uh, if you want me to explain what I mean, just, just, yeah. If you want me to clarify, just let me know. Um, I think it's clear. I hope I answer you. <laughs> um, uh, the turning point was um, was uh, with Njum, the album. Actually, I don't know what was the trigger, but I think it was just uh, being alone and not, uh, not seeing and interacting with anyone for a very long time that actually made me reach something very um, internal. And... Um, which actually changed the, uh, my approach of uh, making music. And I don't think it's about uh, mostly um, an identity or branding. It's just an approach that you keep uh, uh, seeing how it manifests itself constantly through different works and aesthetics. Of course, there's a continuous reinventing and it never stops, as I also asked some older musicians, and they assured that it never stops. You keep reinventing um, yourself on and on and on. And um, yeah, I don't think much in identity or branding. It's just a certain sound uh, that I make, whether it's uh, I feel it's true to, to myself or not. If it's true, I let it out. If it's not, I just... Uh, put it on the side and uh, not visit it any, anymore. Voila. Amazing. Uh, even I'm going to ask you one final question. Uh, do you feel like the 12 year old Yumna would have loved the music that the 2022 version of you is making? I mean, I enjoy it now, so I'm sure she would. <laughs> to a certain extent, she might feel it's a bit uh, long maybe to get into it, but uh, I'm sure she would have enjoyed it, yeah. Cool. Well, um, what are you working on right now? What can we expect from you soon? Uh, I recorded uh, um, a 30-minute project for vocals, oud, and electronics, uh, and it's based on my research that I've been uh, doing for the past two years and a half. And uh, I hope it uh, comes out uh, by the end of the year, this year. Okay, amazing. So people can find your work at yumnasaba.com um, and on Bandcamp and uh, SoundCloud mm -hmm. and all over the internet. Yumna, thank you so much for being with us. Thank uh, you, thank you. I'm really excited. I'm a big fan of your work. And so thank I was excited you. to explore it with you. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for attending. Okay, everyone, this is going to go up on YouTube and on our podcast tomorrow. Um, and so be sure to share with friends who may have missed today's talk, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. All right, we'll be back next week with a bunch more interviews. So stay tuned. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. 
If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikita.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.